Welcome to Pharma Talk Radio. I'm Valerie Bowling. Eli Lilly's Joe Kim, welcome to the DFARM stage. Robert Mercer, who is the design director of global digital products at Starbucks. Robert shared his experience on transforming a customer's experience through digital, and together they talk about some possible lessons learned to benefit the patient's experience in clinical trials. For details on the 10th annual DFARM event, visit theconferenceforum.org. Enjoy the podcast. Uh, good morning, everyone. It's, it's good to be back. Um, I'm really excited to have Starbucks here for, for two main reasons. One is, um, I don't think it's an overstatement to say that they've disrupted the coffee industry. Uh, remember back when you were drinking Taster's Choice and Sanka? Like, that's gone, right? That's, that's gone. Um, and also, they're, they, 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 they're not afraid to disrupt themselves. And because it's Starbucks and we all sort of understand that product and experience, I think there's a lot we can learn from how they've disrupted themselves over the years, right? In the early days, there was little to no food. And now that sausage, egg, and cheese on ciabatta is like the best breakfast sandwich out there. Um, so uh, before we get into that, though, uh, I think the, the audience would really love to know you a little bit more and, and your role at Starbucks. Yeah. Um, yeah, I have quite a history with the company. I've been in a lot of roles, um, but mostly where I started was in the classic creative studio doing design, where I did anything from promotions to coffee bag packaging, packaging systems, um, promotions. Um, actually, even a uh, little claim to fame for me was like I designed the first form factor for the Starbucks card way back in the kind of early 2000s. So kind of had done everything in that company. Um, moved into brand strategy and really started seeing a bigger picture of the business and the brand and the kind of the experience that uh, that was important to the brand and the company and our customers. Um, but I really want, as I was following, I always wanted to stay really close to the customer and the end user, if you will, of um, the experience. And really, the digital space was where I headed about four years ago, um, just knowing that that's where the future of our customers, the business, and the company was going. Yeah, great. And, you know, we talked a little bit about our industry, which is a very in-person, brick-and-mortar industry. And technology is, is we've struggled to, to implement it and certainly experiment and disrupt ourselves. So I'd like to focus our discussion on the mobile ordering experience, which seems innocuous enough, but um, I think we've learned over our conversations that there's a lot that gets packed into doing something like that, yeah. um, particularly because the the status quo at the time was a, a very in-person experience where you had your own vocabulary and you talked to the barista and you said, you know, whatever you said to order your drink, uh, right? My drink is a double dirty chai. Like that doesn't mean anything in, on the street, but at Starbucks it means something. Yeah. Um, and so how, do you how did you think about preserving or paying respect to that personal experience, not just from the order giving, but the order taking and the making? Uh, and the delivery versus a mobile experience, which had to be different because you're not saying into your phone, double dirty chai. Right. Um, yeah, I would say, you know, at the inception of the thinking about MOP, which is mobile order and pay, that's what we typically call it. Um, the working team that kind of was pushing the idea through, I, I think this is kind of important, uh, included the chief digital officer in the company. So of a smaller working team that was trying to unlock this new technology, to have like the decision maker, to have the, the, one of the main people in the company that can, that can agree to the risk, 
um, and agree to the rewards for something like that was pretty key and important. And within those conversations, there was definitely like concern about what it meant for the what we call the Starbucks experience. I mean, I think the, the, the brick and mortar aspect of a retail coffee house company um, kind of came of age in the 90s. Um, that experience really included like a lot of humanity in the stores. It was like this warm, inclusive um, embracing of humanity in our stores, both in front of the counter and behind the counter, um, accepting that kind of diversity uh, of life in the world. And um, that built the brand. So obviously, like you had mentioned, mobile order and pay would be a disruptor to that to some level. And there was uh, concerns about that. But I would say also, um, and I've been hearing this theme, um, which, which uh, has resonated a lot too, is like solve, solving problems through digital technology. And we had a problem in the stores at the same time. We had these lines um, that were very deep in many stores. And that's not something you can hide. That problem, we didn't have to do any sort of like research or generative studies of, of research to, to see that problem. I mean, it was very, very evident. Um, so those same customers that were coming into the store for a welcoming human experience were also standing in line and dealing with that friction and that frustration. So it was an obvious problem. Um, and so mobile order and pay really given a customer if they wanted to and meeting them with their needs and their, with their relationship with Starbucks. If they wanted to skip that line, there was an option for it. And I would say too that like that whole connection between the barista and customer hasn't completely gone away, even with mobile order and pay. Um, like for instance, some, you know, some customers that maybe even prior to mobile order and pay existing, like a Jeremy that might order a double tall vanilla latte, as soon as he adopted mobile order and pay in the same store, kind of in the same ritualistic same time of day, um, the baristas start to recognize that pattern too. So they can see his name come in on the label, put it on the cup, they know who's coming in, and as soon as they see him at the front door, they know his beverage is ready and they can introduce it to him um, just as he's coming in the door. So I've seen that happen before too. So it still isn't totally gone. And I'd say MOP too is, you know, it's a significant fraction of the business, but predominantly uh, most customers are still in line, ordering in line, whether they're paying by the app or not. Yeah, so there's two takeaways I hear. One is when a problem is evident, you don't have to spend a lot of time to measure it. And we do a lot of this in our own clinical research operations. We think, well, how big is this problem? Yeah. And you spend all this time gathering data when you just know it's a problem. Um, the other thing that I'm hearing is that this, this idea of a personal relationship is something we often talk about with our sites and coordinators and our patients. And you know, we believe that can't, that's a sacred thing and it can't be disrupted. But here you're giving us evidence that um, using technology doesn't eliminate it, it just changes it in a different way. And you can still have a, a, a different personal relationship even when you're using technology as the interface. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, another thing we struggle with in clinical research uh, innovation is uh, around what sort of success looks like, right? What are our, um, what are our key targets for early success? And oftentimes we think about uh, it's got to be 80% adopted or else it's not, no one wants it. Um, what kind of targets did you set for yourself when you started to do the mobile order and pay? 
uh, rolling that out. Like yeah. clearly, a hundred percent adoption is unrealistic and naive. Yeah. But what, what what did you what targets did you set for yourself? Yeah, I mean, I would say there wasn't a lot of savviness around measurement of success with that, or even data collection in that way. I mean, it was we rolled it out as a test in Portland, Oregon, which is kind of the right way to do that kind of thing. Um, and the idea was to kind of iron out all the issues. And like I said, there was a lot of unknowns um, as, as you implement something like this. And, um, and it's, you just really don't quite know exactly what's going to happen. Um, I, even, I think the very, the very first mobile order that was placed uh, right after midnight on the day it went live in Seattle at a... Um, at a 24-hour store, it was after actually midnight. Right after midnight, like at 12:01 or whatever, uh, when you know the, it was turned on, uh, the order by our chief digital officer was placed to the wrong store. <laughs> you know, so it's just like there you, you know. There you go. There you go. You just <laughs> learn something right away. Like yeah. the first thing is like, oh, what what are we going to do about that issue? And I think when we rolled it out into the Portland market, there was a lot to learn too. I mean, yes, there were drinks getting cold on the counter, frappuccinos melting, you know, that sort of thing. But you have to kind of just get it out there, push it out there quickly and learn from it. And I'll say too, um, one of the fortunate things for us is, you know, we had stores and those store managers and those store baristas that were really helping us figure all this stuff out. I mean, we, we put a lot on them in operations, you know, to, to pull this off. Um, but I will say, they were the ones dealing with the long lines. They were the ones dealing with, they embraced it because they knew the exact problem that we were trying to solve too, the whole way through. Right. Um, but, but really our feedback and our measurement of success or failure came from them, um, giving us feedback on how it was going. And they, different stores had to improvise different ways, you know. They're, um, busy stores had a different solution for rushes based on maybe suburban stores that didn't feel that kind of pressure. Um, so it really was monitoring the in-store experience with customers and the store managers and the baristas and really getting feedback from them kind of in a way, way more organic way. Yeah. Thank you for being so humble and modest about that because, you know, from the outside you think of Starbucks as, oh, they have their act together, everything that they're going to do is going to roll out great. Yeah. And here you're saying, wow, that first order was screwed up. Yeah. And, you know, we need to have a little courage to try some things at a small scale, yeah. knowing that it's going to go wrong, uh, but yeah. being willing to fix it and, and aligning with the end users, that is the baristas as well, yeah. uh, in our, our cases, the study coordinators and investigators, to try and um, have them help. Yeah. Um, yeah. This is, is a great story. Um, what about some un unintended consequences? Like you said, you, this, you, you couldn't foresee everything, and you were hoping a lot of it was going to be positive. Was there anything sort of unintended that, ooh, you know, it didn't really go as planned, and you had to adjust? Yeah, I think, um, you know, for the first, so we rolled it out in late 2014. Through the course of 2015, it, it went through the nation. Um, and learning as we go, right? Like there's a lot of different store types in different markets um, that had unique needs. The other thing about store managers is we didn't really give them a plan because we didn't know what was gonna happen. Um, I remember having a, um, two really good friends uh, manage stores in downtown Seattle where the rushes were going to happen. And I remember saying like, what, 
what plans were you given? And they're like, we're just going to figure it out as it happens. And, and they're like, we have a pretty small handoff plane, so if we get rushes, I don't know, we're gonna, we were, he, I think he was saying, we talked about uh, maybe figuring out if there's like a double-decker parking garage or something like that that we can kind of place, you know, on the counter. Or they just really didn't know and had to figure it out as they went. Yeah. Um, so there was, every store probably had their own unique story about how they were gonna solve it. They were given us feedback and we would look at opportunities to scale solutions possibly um, with the problems that stores were having. So a couple of years in, we definitely, you couldn't ignore that there was scalable operational issues. Sure. Um, the term that uh, I think, especially like in Manhattan and stuff, that MOP broke our store, mm -hmm. like, you know, it broke our store uh, just during the morning rush hours. Uh, there was something that we needed to do as a company to figure out how to solve for that. Um, and I think there was, so there was definitely staffing adjustments during rush hour. Um, stores would do that kind of on their own, but it also had to like pass through a lot of a company approval and stuff like that. Um, but one of the main things uh, that we did was designate um, some staff and a specific espresso machine. So a lot of stores, especially the busy ones, have two espresso machines. So during a certain window in the morning, designate one espresso machine and at least a barista or two producing drinks just to MOP. Mm -hmm. um, that way, because the way it was happening before is orders were just flying in to both espresso machines wow. at any cadence that, that they were coming in. Um, but once, you, once we discovered that once you designated an espresso machine just for mobile order and pay during a given time, then it, also the traffic in the stores, there were people that were lined up near the handoff plane for mobile order and pay. And that was kind of its own ecosystem yeah. of those baristas, that machine, and those customers in that area. Um, so that helped quite a bit. But it took, you know, the problem existed for a while. Um, there was a lot of work that had to happen in the stores and observation in the stores to kind of figure that stuff out. But um, that was that was one thing that we ran into um, that was getting pretty bad. Like, I mean, can you, can we, we've probably done this before, but can you imagine rolling something, some new technology out to sites and not having a plan? Like, oh my God, people's yeah. those heads would explode. <laughs> uh, but it's a, it's a testament to the buy-in of your employees that they were willing to figure yeah. it out and yeah. also give you honest feedback, not to gripe, but constructive so you yeah. could uh, scale it yeah. properly. And I mean, I think we had that, I, like we are very, very, you know, we're not a tech company. Um, our users aren't somewhere else, you know, behind, underneath the glass and through servers and somewhere else. Like they are right in our store. We can, you can go in and see, I, I can go in and see my work like yeah. any given day and how it's working or how it's not working. Um, and so it is, kind of, it is a pretty unique space uh, with, within that. And there's a lot to be learned just by actually observing our stores, yeah. You know, there's this old adage that you can't manage what you, you, can't manage what you don't measure, right? Something like that. And when something is very in-person and high-touch, just like clinical research is and, and the, the old way of uh, a coffee house used to be, it was very personal and uh, th things weren't measured quite um, 
with any right. diligence. But now that when you have technology, things can be measured really easily. So were you, were you beginning to measure and understand your stores in a different way because now you had mobile ordering, whether it was about inventory or demand or staffing? Like what, what sort of operational efficiencies did you get insight into? Yeah, well, I mean, like that one that I gave an example of was probably the most specific one. Um, you know, as far as data and using data that we, that we get back, we are just starting to get rolling on like A-B testing and trying different things to see what customers really want out of it. Um, the biggest thing I would say we learned was when you just have customers standing in a line kind of paying organically, you don't really know much about each one individually. You don't know how much in a hurry they are. You don't know how, what percentage of your customers are in a hurry. You don't know what percentage of customers actually want to be rewarded for their loyalty or even their frequency. Yeah. You just kind of don't know much of anything. Um, I think with the rollout of MOP, and we've been watching it kind of steadily grow. Like it's been, I think we're pushing like, I think 15% of all, um, of all revenue generated uh, through payment is, is mobile order and pay now. For if, I think it's like 40 plus percent of uh, our customers are at least paying with the app, whether it's MOP or paying in store. Mm -hmm. So you start, to see, you start to see the lifestyle of your customers and what they're expecting. You start to see those patterns um, that, that, that they operate with. You know? um, I think MOP definitely showed the type of customer that wants to come in, grab it quick, and just get out. There are obviously other customers that come and hang out up in the coffee house experience. There's other ones that do like to stand in. Like I'm one that kind of more often will stand in line. Me too. I'll go and then I'll figure out what I want while I'm there. There's even been times where I've gone and the line's a little long, so I'll just mobile order and pay from within the store. <laughs> but. Um, yeah, I think, it's, I think it's just meeting customers wherever they're at, but you start to see the segmentation of, of mm -hmm. different, different customer types a lot more when you give them different opportunities uh, to engage with you. Yeah, I mean, I, I prefer going to the store, so sometimes I'll go to the store while my wife will mobile order. Yeah. So by the time I'm <laughs> finished, I can pick her uh, coffee Brilliant. up and go home. Um, let's close with um, kind of like... In your wildest dreams, you probably didn't know the potential of what mobile order pay could, could do. So how, how has it really helped you strategically, not just solve that problem of a long yeah. line, but launch new, new, I know I was going to say launch new drugs, launch new drinks, yeah. um, or other sorts of services and products? I'll tell you one quick story that, um, that we learned through just digitizing our menu, just putting our menu, which is like the only place that you can actually explore our whole menu is really within the app or, or our website. That's it. To host the whole menu is very difficult. Digital is where it's at. We had an information architecture of our menu that um, up until about a year ago had espresso drinks as the top, one within the top category. It's called espresso drinks. And we did research under that. And our customers, our good customers, were telling us that they couldn't find a latte under espresso drinks. Now we know internally that espresso is the base coffee ingredient in lattes, cappuccinos, macchiatos, all those things that would be under espresso drinks. Um, when we went out to customers and asked them to find these in like studies, they couldn't, 85% couldn't find a latte. Mm. 
And what we really realized was Fools. that, yeah, but we, what we really realized is like, there's not a, like a real understanding of espresso. Yeah. We now have changed it to hot coffees today. We've segmented hot and cold. And that gave us a ton of learning just by putting our menu in a digital space. Um, there's things like that, that there's always opportunities to learn um, in ways that you wouldn't otherwise learn. And that was huge for us. Yeah, I mean, that insight that you just mentioned is something, you, you, you didn't set out to, to do that, mm -hmm. but this is something that's a, a nice, uh, yeah. positive consequence. Yeah. Um, so I, I hope the audience has gained a lot from a, kind of an everyday experience that you can all relate to and how, the, how something as innocuous as a mobile order has, is fraught with thorny issues and also really positive um, uh, turnouts uh, when you actually implement it and pay attention to it and align with everyone on the ground to make it happen. Um, please welcome, or please join me in, in thanking Robert for joining us. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. For information on the 10th Annual D-Farm, visit theconferenceforum.org. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.